morning we're going to continue our uh, series in Advent uh, thematically. Uh, this morning uh, we're looking at peace. And if you have your Bibles, if you'd come with me to uh, Micah uh, chapter 5, uh, we're going to do a little uh, study out of the first five verses of Micah chapter 5, Micah 5, 1 through 5. Um, before we begin our study and pray, uh, just a few details uh, about Micah. Uh, the things that you're going to read, uh, or we're going to read together, they were written 700 years uh, before they came to be. So one of the verses that you're going to see is Micah the prophet says that, that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And then 700 years transpire, and then lo and behold what happens uh, God fulfills uh, that prophetic word uh, about Jesus Christ. And that happens over and over again uh, when we look at the Old Testament uh, promise, the Old Testament promises, and look at New Testament fulfillment. So one of the things that it, it can be a little bit of a hurdle uh, in, in issues of faith is, can I, can I trust God's word? Can I trust that the Bible is true? And so... Uh, these uh, prophetic words about the nature and character, where Christ will be born, what he's, what he's like, uh, what can we expect from him, all those things were uh, foretold hundreds and hundreds of years uh, before, before Christ was born in, in Bethlehem at his first coming. Second point, as far as way of introduction, is, is just to say this about Micah. He was a regular guy. He lived in the highlands, so to speak, of Judea, and he uh, had a great love uh, for the people, the regular people of his day. And he had such a love for them and so uh, grafted into that, uh, say, that shepherd's heart, that agricultural heart of his day, is that uh, God used him to speak to the religious leaders, the political leaders, uh, the business officials, because what they were doing to the people that Micah loved was that they were exploiting them, using them, and in some cases they would even swindle the land away from farmers in, in, in Micah's geographic area, which was totally against Torah, totally against the heart of God uh, to keep the land in the family line. And so Micah uh, was, was raised up uh, to speak to, uh, it's kind of a, a trite phrase, but Micah was raised up to speak to power, but not out of a place of being a powerful person, but out of a place of being humble and kind in heart and a lover of, of the Lord, he spoke out of that place of humility, and that's Micah 6.8, he spoke out of that place of humility to the power brokers of his day, and he spoke in a prophetic way. So one of the last point as far as introduction, the prophet spoke uh, basically in, in, in two frames. Uh, the first frame was God's judgment against primarily 
those that were responsible for following after God and teaching the people, God spoke judgment to the religious leaders of the day and to the political leaders because they were not doing what? They were not taking care of business in their sphere, and they were exploiting people. So there's a lot of application if you just give a little thought to it. What's God's heart towards the poor? What's God's heart to those that are not in power? God's heart towards them is that those in power should have a kindness of heart. They should have a disposition of humility, and they should follow after the precepts of God. That's one lens that the prophet spoke through, and Micah does that, and we're going to see that lens in verse 1. Okay, so that lens of judgment against uh, sin, judgment against exploiting the powerless people of the day, you're going to see that in, in, in verse 1, and somewhat cryptically, but, but we'll... we'll express it and develop it. The second part is, is much better to teach on uh, because it has to do with God, God's restoration, God giving hope to the people, God giving the people his heart and his way so that they could flourish and so that they could be the best person possible this side of heaven. And you're going to see that in verses 2 through 5. And so the lens, or the prophetic lens, is judgment against sin because it takes advantage of those without power. Judgment against sin because it prevents people from flourishing. That's one part. That's verse 1. And then verses 2 through 5 has to do with God bringing hope and restoration to the people. How's that sound? All right, let's pray together, and then we'll uh, look at our text. Father, we thank you uh, for this morning, and we pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts uh, at this Christmas season, and where our hearts are, are filled with joy, Lord, we, we, we embrace that. And Lord, where our hearts uh, 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 may be broken, the expectations we had for today are, uh, they've kind of, uh, they're just not possible. We weep with those who weep. And so, Lord, whether we're joy-filled this morning or struggling, we pray, Lord, that, Lord, that you, Lord, that you would give us your peace and that you would speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, when we come to our text, the first lens is we see in uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. So the picture here is Jerusalem is under siege uh, by the Babylonians. A little historical context, people are starving. People are looking for a way out. It says, With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek, speaking of Zedekiah out of 2 Kings 25. What's that all about? What it's about is that the king and the religious leaders, they weren't taking care of the people. They weren't taking care of the poor. They were exploiting the poor. 
And God and his righteousness, God and his judgment comes and delivers a severe rebuke to the people of Judah, the religious leaders, the political leaders. The message here is Zedekiah, the, the king, he tried to escape. At night, they try to figure out a way through the city. But when God's judgment comes, there's no escape. And if you know the biblical narrative, it's gruesome. They take him prisoner. They capture him. The uh, Nebuchadnezzar puts his sons in front of him, and they execute the sons, and they gouge out the king's eyes all because of what? All because of sin. And the sin kept them from fulfilling their purpose in life, which was to be a godly leader or a person that loved the Lord or a business person that acted and ran his or her business in a noble way. They didn't reflect the heart of God. And so that is the bad news. I'm so glad this morning there's only one verse like that. Because when you look at the prophets and you go through it verse by verse all the time, it, it is sin is sin will sin will kill you, and sin in the everyday course of it will keep you from being the best person possible this side of heaven. Now verses two through five is about the Lord's restoration. It's about the Lord's hope. And in it, what we see in these five verses, we see seven little pictures of Jesus, where he's going to be born, and what he's going to be like. Let me give you those seven things if you're taking a few notes along the way. What we're going to see is that Jesus is from the line of David. What we're going to see is that he's born in Bethlehem. What we're going to see is he's the eternal God. What we're going to see is that he's faithful to Israel, and there's a promise of his second coming, and things that resonate with all of our hearts. Uh, John chapter 10, John chapter 11, is, is that he is our good shepherd. And he cares for our hearts and soul in a way that is redemptive, in a way that is healing, in a way that allows us to flourish uh, as, as a person. And then uh, the thematically for Advent, uh, he is our peace. And, and I'll just say this, that it's in verse 5, he is our peace. Um, it, it's not a theory it's kind of uh, not kind of a, a system, uh, but our peace is a person, and, and that person is Jesus Christ, because he stands as our priest, and on the cross he took our sins so that we could be justified, so that we could be accepted, so that we could be forgiven, and so that we could have a relationship with God, accepted by him, so we could become the very best person this side of heaven that God has designed us to be. Take a look at uh, verse 2, if you would. Uh, look at that first word there. 
It's a little word. Um, I love these words in the Bible because usually uh, the, what's, what preceded the word is bad news. And in this case, the word is what? What's that three-letter word? But. But there's, there's judgment, there's evil, but God. And that's the way it is in all of our lives. We were going along our life's way, and then but God. And some of us came to know Christ later in life, and the but is a lot bigger than it was it, maybe if we came to Christ as a child. But God, and what we could translate that is, is grace intervened. And that is the message of the gospel. That's the message of Christmas. God has intervened. How did he intervene? The first thing that the prophet calls to mind is that he's going to be born where? In Bethlehem of Epirthoth. And Bethlehem means house of bread, fruitful bread, a place of flourishing. God will be born, the Messiah will come, and he'll be born in Bethlehem, which is the place where David, King David, was born. Not only that, Ruth and Boaz, it's a place of promise. What we can see immediately from the text is two things about Jesus. One is going to be born in Bethlehem. And how many years before the, how many years before it happened did the prophet say? 700 years before. And so there's a promise that's fulfilled in the New Testament is that the Messiah would be born in the line of David and he'll be born in the place King David was born. We could look at a couple other scriptures in regards to lineage. In Genesis 59.10, the promise that the scepter or the symbol of rulership will not depart from Judah. In 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 10, that the throne will never depart from the line of David. And I love the one in Revelation 5, 5, is that the Messiah, Jesus, is the lion of the tribe of who? Judah. And so what we see in this first verse is just tremendous promise, prophetic promise, that we celebrate Today, 2,000 plus years ago, we celebrate today the fulfillment of grace. And God is still in that business today. I had a, a friend of mine, neighbor of mine, who lost someone that he dearly loved. I was out for a walk. He's just sitting on the bench looking out over the cove, Collins Cove. I said, his name was Bob. I said, Bob, how you doing? And he shared what's going on. And he was heartbroken. What did he need? He needed grace. He needed the peace of God to come into his heart. And that's what God wants to do today in our hearts. And if you look around the room, you see all kinds of smiling faces. Some people are a little scary, so that's why we, we, we face front. We don't want to scare the children too much. But despite the sm smiling faces, many of us, myself included, this morning need that grace, that peace in, 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 in my heart. Because Christmas is always what? <laughs> it's always a mixed bag. It's a full of joy. And then you got this stuff here and this stuff there and 
then you get the stuff you're going to deal with this afternoon when the fam comes. <laughs> and the grace of God is something that we all need. What we see in verse 2 is grace intervened. And he's still doing that today. Come back to the text with me. We looked at the first two. First two truths is that he's born in Bethlehem. He's of the line of David. Look at verse 3 with me. Oh, uh, back to two, last part of 2. It says, One who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. And that's Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. And it speaks to the eternal nature of the Messiah, Jesus. So grace invades, born in Bethlehem, born in the line of David, the ancient of days as foretold in Daniel, that he is and has always been and will always be. He changes not. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same. Say it with me. Yesterday, today, and forever. And that should bring our heart courage this morning. He's Bethlehem born, line of David, the eternal God. Look at verse 3 with me. Verse 3 is a little bit difficult because it speaks of two things that, aren't, that don't quite, say, pop out from the text. Uh, verse 3 has to do with God's covenantal faithfulness to Israel and, and his second coming. And so let's read verse 3. I think you're going to be able to pull out the first one, God's covenantal faithfulness, and I'll give you a little hint it's Isaiah 9, 6, and it's also uh, Micah 5, 2, God's covenantal faithfulness to Israel, and also embedded in that is, uh, is the promise of his second coming. And so we're looking at verse 3. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. So here's the deal. Who's given birth? What's the promise in the context here? It's about a babe who's going to be born in Bethlehem. And we see and know the fulfillment of that. Well, there's also a promise to Israel that, that the Messiah uh, remains faithful to. And that's what we find in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 11, is that at the end times, the Messiah will come, and the promise there is that all Israel will be saved, rescued by that same Messiah. And so you see his first coming and his second coming, and why is that important to note? Because just as soon as all the promises of his first coming were, were completed in the New Testament, there's a few left, and they pertain to his second coming. And so we encourage ourselves in that blessed hope that just as he came as a babe, he'll come as the lion of the tribe of Judah in his second coming, Revelation 5.5. 5. There's a couple things left that, that speak to us about who Jesus is for us, who the scriptures reveal him to be. Uh, the next one is found in verse 6. Uh, of verse 5. And he, he shall be their peace, speaking of that 
cessation of hostilities, that shalom will be, and that he will be, uh, he will be the shepherd of our souls. And so when we look at this text in Micah, what we find is a picture of promise. We find that fulfillment. That's what we celebrate today. We find a promise that he will be our shepherd, and we find the promise that he will be our peace. And when the Bible uses the term for peace, it's that word, Hebrew word, shalom, which means the hostilities have stopped and that the relationship has flourished. And we learn that that happens because of the work of Jesus Christ to pay the price for our sins so that we could experience forgiveness and peace with God. In closing, there's a great New Testament uh, passage that speaks of the peace that we have with God through Jesus Christ. And if you have your Bibles, come there with me, and we'll close with this this morning. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus did on the cross is that he paid the penalty for our sins. And just as well as we see in Micah 5.2, grace invaded time and space. It's through the work of Christ that he invades our time and our hearts and woos us by his grace to receive him as Lord and Savior that he might pay the price for our sins so that we have eternal peace and find our eternal home in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The reason for Christmas is that grace came in a babe. The reason for the peace that we have is that same babe went to the cross to buy our redemption through his blood. Therefore, we have peace, and are secure in God. You say amen? We're going to invite Ben to come, and we're going to close our time together by celebrating uh, the Lord's table uh, this morning. And so let's uh, prepare our hearts for that.